Welcome to the teaching ministry of pastors Carl and Cheryl Thomas. Our favorite verse is Habakkuk 2.14, where the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Consumed by that revelation, we are committed to recognizing, resourcing, and releasing high-impact ministries resulting in global glory, transforming lives to impact their world. We have a teaching that will impact you today. Now, let's get right into that word. It's been a really good time doing the Jesus trip and uh, looking for Jesus purposely and intentionally through the Bible. And you know what? When you do that every day for, for 365 days, that, that forms some good patterns, right? Not just for reading the Bible, but for life, right? We have a Jesus-looking God all the time. He always looks like Jesus, and he always has, even in the book of Ruth, and we're going to find that today. So um, we got like half an hour, so we're going to jump right in, Okay. So the book of Ruth, um, I think we're starting that today and tomorrow. But anyways, what happens in the book of Ruth, it says that it happens in the days when the judges ruled in Israel. So uh, we heard last week about the, the Israelites, they, that Moses is dead, Joshua is dead, and they're in this season where they're, they're experiencing these kind of cycles. You know, they're doing well for a while, they're doing what God's asked them to do, and, and then they fall into sin and idolatry. And that the consequence of that is they end up enslaved. And then they, of course, call out to God because they're in a really bad spot. Come help us. So God's solution is he raises up a judge. The judge delivers Israel. And as long as the judge is alive, Israel's good. Right? So sounds like an all right arrangement, except for the fact that it's cyclical. It keeps repeating. And there's no doubt no fun when you're going through some of those stages. Right? And, and we talked about how that kind of um, mirrors, I guess, some of the... Uh, uh, a, a repentance cycle that you can go through, what, what Christianity can be if you don't understand fully what Jesus has done for you. See, sometimes we can, we can be stuck in this cycle of uh, sin, confess, repent, sin, confess, repent, or maybe even sin, confess, repent, do good for a while, sin, confess, repent, do good for a while. And that's what we're seeing in the book of Judges. But you know what? So when the judge was raised up, the judge delivered them. And as long as the judge lived, they, were, they lived in that, that peak place of that cycle where they were blessed. Well, guess what? God raised up a warrior king for us. And he set us free from that whole cycle. So anything that's going on in our lives that, that, that any, in any way mirrors that cycle, right? You're free. Jesus actually, he, he doesn't enter into that cycle. He actually obliterates the cycle and lifts you right up out of it. So we're not doing the sin, confess, repent thing anymore. No proper repentance is to see, to actually see, to see in light of the fact that Jesus has done what he's done, you're delivered and set free from it, plucked you right out of it. And now we have a, a warrior king who forever lives. He ever lives, the Bible says, to make intercession for us. His constant life is imparting life to us. The fact that he is who he is and where he's seated is communicating something consciously to us all the time. I'm free. I'm free. So that's uh, it, all that in the time of the judges. So in the time of the judges, God puts this beautiful story about redemption, yes. which again, I think is really crazy. They're going through this cycle, yet in the midst of that, God's saying, you know what? That cycle's not it. Look outside of it. There's something else happening. There's something else going on. And that, the, the, the story that we see is uh, the story of Naomi and Ruth. Sorry to just be real quick about it, but uh, uh, Elimelech. He's a, he's a man, he's married to Naomi, and there is a famine in Bethlehem. Now at this time, they're settled in their promised land. This is their place of inheritance, and, and, and there's, but there's a famine. 
And it's funny that there's a famine in Bethlehem, because in Hebrew, the word, it actually means Bethlehem. It means the city or the place of bread. So something's gone wrong, right? Something's wrong, gone wrong when there's no bread in the place of bread. And so they leave. They think that they can outrun it. They think that they can get away from uh, the consequences, I guess, of this cycle. So, so they take off, and they go to Moab. And when they're there, their two sons, Mahlon and Kilion, they marry two Moabite women. And if you remember anything about what we've read so far, Moabite women aren't necessarily thought of very highly in the Old Testament. Remember Balaam's advice? He told them, you know what, I can't curse what God's blessed, but um, just send out the Moabite women and that'll seduce them and then they'll, they'll fall into sin all by themselves. Um, actually, do you know what? It says in Deuteronomy, I think it's chapter 23, it says that the Israelites were actually forbidden from pursuing the welfare of any Moabite. That's pretty harsh, right? So anyways, they leave their inheritance, and they go down and, and get involved with the Moabite women, which is fine. And uh, I don't know if it was, but they did it anyways. Now, while they're there, um, Elimelech dies, so Naomi's husband dies, and then 10 years later, her two sons die, and she's left just in this desperate situation. I mean, the plight of, of, of women in those days wasn't very good unless you were hooked up and married, right? So she, she's in a bad spot. And uh, she really let it affect her. I mean, in Ruth chapter 1, verse 13, she says things like, the Lord has raised his fist against me. Or she says, the Lord, the Almighty, has caused tragedy to come upon me. So she's experienced difficulty, tragedy. And you know what? It even actually says later that she says, just change my name. Just call me Mara. Just call me Bitter. I mean, she let her tragedy affect her so much that she actually affected her identity. And it definitely affected how she saw God. So just a, a, a helpful hint, too, when we're going through the Jesus trip, is uh, it's not just for finding Jesus in the Bible, although that's what we're doing, but we also want to make sure that the picture of Jesus that we're seeing is affecting our lives all the time. So when we're going through difficulty, right, maybe we've experienced tragedy, Jesus still remains who he is. Yes. He's good, he's always good, and we can't let difficulty or, or even tragedy in our lives affect how we see God. Because he is Jesus, he looks like Jesus, and he always has, and he always will. So, Naomi's sad, she's bitter. She, she clearly has a misunderstanding at this point of the, the nature and the intent of God towards her. But she's, she's decided she's going to go back to Bethlehem, so she's heading in the right direction, right? She's going back to her place of inheritance. That's, that's good news. And Ruth, I think she, she knew that, you know what, she's not doing good right now. Oh my goodness, maybe even she makes me a little bit miserable to be around. But she's going to the right place, and she latched herself to her. So it actually says, when, when Naomi tried to get rid of her daughters-in-law and say, you know what, go back to your own families now. Go back to your own mothers. Uh, yeah, there's nothing for you here. Uh, Orpah's like, okay, fine. Uh, sad, but she leaves. But Ruth's like, no way. She's like, your people are going to be my people, and your God's going to be my God. And she clings to Naomi. I think she's got a little bit of faith. She might, maybe she interacted with uh, Naomi and her husband about what the, what the Hebrew uh, customs were. Maybe she knew. Maybe intuitively. She just had faith. I'm going to get back to the land where the God of Israel reigns, and everything's going to be good. So they go. They go back to Bethlehem, they get, at the, they get back to Bethlehem in the, in the barley harvest, which if we had more time, we'd talk about how that speaks about resurrection and the waving of the first fruit, or the, the sheaf of the first fruits and all that stuff. They're going back, right time, right place. They're really blessed. But they get back to Bethlehem, and they have no money. They got nothing. 
part of the process here, when they would have left, is they abandoned their family land, they abandoned their inheritance, or, or they would have sold it or something. They got rid of it. They, couldn't, they didn't have access to it. So when they get back to Bethlehem, they've got nothing. So uh, Ruth's like, you know what? I'm going to go gleaning in the fields, like Pastor quickly alluded to there. She's going to go, I'm going to go hang out in the fields, and I'm going to pick up the scraps that they leave. I'm going to go to the edge of the field, the boundaries, and I'm just going to pick up the stuff that's left. And lo and behold, she ends up uh, gleaning in the field of Boaz, a distant relative. Well, a, a close relative anyways. So she's out there, she's gleaning in the field, and this relative Boaz, which is actually the star of the show here in the book of Ruth for what we're going to talk about, he notices her. He sees her out in the field doing this. And, uh, and I, think, I think he really notices her. And he's like, hey, <laughs> I see you. And uh, so he's watching her, he sees her while she's out gleaning in the field. Now that you could draw this amazing parallel about how she's out there, she's reaping the benefits of this harvest field of resurrection, and that's when she's noticed. I, I don't know, but I, I like it. So she's out there, she's doing this, and she's noticed by Boaz. And I think Boaz is a type, we're going to talk about a type of our kinsman redeemer. I think that's an amazing picture of how Jesus, he notices us. He sees us. And that's not bad. That's not scary. I don't know if you've ever heard, like, the eye of the Lord is upon you. God's watching you. You know, and you, you kind of got that, uh-oh, whoa. I wonder if he saw it last night. Two weeks ago, two years ago, uh-oh. The Lord's watching you. Well, even if that's true, right? Even if you've done something crazy or weird, do you know what he says about watching you? About having his eye on you and looking at you? Isaiah 57, it talks about a backslider. Maybe it's talking about all of Israel, but he talks about this person, this group of people who keep on turning away, who keep on backsliding, each to the way of his own willful heart. And when God sees that, and he sees, even if you've done it on purpose, even if you're sitting there thinking, you know what, I, but, but I did that on purpose. I did it with full foreknowledge and malice of intent. I did it on purpose. Do you know what he says? He says, I've seen your willful ways. I'm still going to heal you. Amen. That's good, right? Don't disqualify yourself from something because you did something on purpose, right? The, the weird machinations we can get into in our heads. It's like, he can forgive me for that. Maybe he'll forgive me, but maybe he won't heal me. Maybe he can do this for me, but he's not going to do that because I might have wanted to do that on purpose. You know what I mean? Don't get into all that stuff. He says, I've seen everything, and I'm still going to heal you. So he's watching us. Psalm chapter 8 says that his, his mind is full of us. He's thinking about us. He's obsessed with us. He's watching us, and that is such good news. So Boaz, he notices Ruth, and Ruth notices him noticing her. She runs home. She's really excited. She goes home and tells Naomi about this close relative who's noticing her, and uh, she gives her some instructions. Naomi says, okay, Ruth, this is what I want you to do. This is what's going to fix our, our situation here. This is going to get you a home. I want you to go take a shower, get all cleaned up, stop smelling. It must be she smelled working in the fields or something, right? But go take a shower, get cleaned up, and then go back to wherever Boaz is, find out where he's sleeping, after, you know, he's got a full tummy, maybe he's had a couple glasses of wine or something, just go have this encounter with him. Ask him if he will uh, marry you. And uh, she does it. She does it. I'm being really quick. But uh, <laughs> leaving things to the imagination there. They have this encounter. And Boaz says, you know what? I'll do it. I'll look into your redemption. 
Because back then, there's this thing of the kinsman redeemer. We've read about it before, right? So uh, if you sold your property, if you sold your land, or you, you, were, you were poor and you had to, then a, a somebody in your family could come and buy it and restore you back to your fortune. But it had to be somebody in your family. So that's the, that's the thing about Boaz here. That's why Boaz is so important. He's actually a relative, and he's actually qualified to do this for her. So when she comes back and tells Naomi, you know what? I did everything that you said. I, I, I followed the plan. And guess what? He's actually going to look into it. He's actually thinking about it. And, uh, and I think he's going to do it. I think he's going to redeem us. I think our fortunes are going to turn all the way around. And uh, so I, th I think she's pumped. Yeah. She's excited. I don't know. Maybe they're living in, in, in a corner somewhere. And, and now the possibility is, you know what? They're going to get the penthouse. Who knows? So she's pumped. So Naomi says to her, you can just imagine her being super excited, right? And Naomi's like, you know what? Just be patient, my daughter. Just be patient until we hear what happens. Now listen to this. The man won't rest until he settled things today. Isn't that good? Did you see Jesus there? The man won't rest until he settled our redemption. Now that is a very, very clear picture to me of Jesus. I mean, hear the passion, hear the purpose there. He's not going to rest until he settled your redemption. And you know what? Jesus did. He settled it. I've called the title of this sermon, It's Settled, because it is. Our redemption is completely settled. He settled our sin issue. Hebrews 10, 12, 23, it says, but, at, but this man, so Jesus, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, and for that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. So he offered one sacrifice for sins forever, then he sat down. He dealt with our sins, then he rested. Clear picture, right? Done. And a couple other things he settled. He settled our sanctification, right? So I'm saved, but now I've got to work really hard to get holy. No, you know what? That issue settled too. Absolutely settled. Hebrews 10.10 10 says, by that will, we have been sanctified. Past tense, through, not our Bible reading, not our fasting, not our trying really hard, but through the offering of the body of Jesus. That's why we're sanctified. Already done deal. Settled. He saved me, but now I just want to get holy. Guess what you are? It's a done deal. Sorry. It all came in one package when you accepted Jesus. Because the funny thing is, we're talking about redemption today, but the more we look into it, and the more we talk about things like redemption, sanctification, righteousness, atonement, all these million-dollar words, do you know what it all boils down to? You being in Christ and Christ being in you. It's just multiple ways and words and pictures to talk about one thing. God fulfilling his purpose for your life by placing you in Christ and Christ in you. It's really simple. It really is. That's why Paul said in Corinthians, uh, he said, you know what, I, I'm, I'm afraid for you guys. I'm afraid, like the serpent deceived Eve and tricked her, that you too have fallen away from the simplicity of Christ. It's Jesus beginning to end. He settled everything for us. He really did. Now, here's the thing, though. It's settled from God's perspective, even from ours. He settled it for us. We are redeemed. We're saved. Completely. But... You can be unsettled in yourself. I can be unsettled in myself if I don't see just how settled it is. He settled it. I got to be okay with that. I got to let that truth settle in. He's done it for me. He's done it all. So to help, I thought I'd look at, the, at Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, who acted as Ruth's redeemer, and see some of the parallels between how, how he redeemed Naomi and Ruth and their land and them to all their stuff, 
and how Jesus has done that for us. So, because there's actually some pretty remarkable parallels. So I've got five of them in 15 minutes, and it's going to work. Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. The first thing Boaz did, so remember, he, he, told, Naomi, or he told Ruth, I'm going to look into this. Now, I think from that moment, he was like, you know what? How, how can I make this happen? He started to plan. And you think the next day, it says that he went and he sat, he took his seat in the town gate. There was another guy who was actually more qualified to act as the kinsman redeemer. But so he says to him, hey, come on over here. And I think he had a plan for how he was going to navigate this guy as well, which we'll see. But he, he, he thought something out. He had a plan and he started to enact it. And you know what? Jesus did too. See, whatever you believe about uh, our origins as as human beings, I think from the very beginning, God had a plan of redemption all along. See, I don't think we had to sin. I don't think God set us up to fail in the Garden of Eden by putting that tree there. But I think he knew we would. And from the very beginning, he had a plan to fix it. So here's a Martin Lloyd-Jones quote. He says this. He says, redemption is a definite plan. See, there's nothing incidental or contingent about the plan of redemption. The plan of redemption, it's an entire plan, a perfect, definite plan, down to the smallest details. Now, why is that important? I think. I think it's important because you got to know, God's not surprised at your decisions. He's not surprised by your mistakes. He's not surprised by sin. It was his plan all along to put you in Christ and to put Christ in you. And I believe, honestly, that the basis of his thoughts towards you have always been Christ-centered. I don't think he's thought about you apart from Jesus. I think this was his plan. Not not to make us to sin, but to include us in Christ. I mean, he's he's sad that we've sinned. He's sad that we've gone through everything that we have as, as human beings. But he had a plan. From the very beginning, it was his plan to make us holy and without blame. He pre-planned that we would be adopted as his sons and as his daughters. He pre-planned in advance, no matter what happened in your life, that you would be made in the image and the likeness of Jesus. He pre-planned redemption through the blood of Jesus. And the mystery kept hidden, Colossians says, the mystery hidden from the beginning and now revealed, which sadly sometimes clouded over again, but it's Jesus, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the mystery of the whole thing. God, from the very beginning, set out to put us in Christ and Christ in us. He had a plan. You've always been covered. You've always been loved. You've always been thought about. There's never been a moment where God's like, "Uh uh-oh, didn't see that one coming. Or, you know, you're doing so good. You were tracking along so well, and then this happened. Oh, stink. Now we're done. I don't know what to do now. That's never been God's, God's position. He's always had a plan, and you've always been good. See, in their time, uh, in the time of Moses, probably like maybe 100, 200 years prior to the story, the, uh, the provision of a kinsman redeemer was given. God planned in advance for people like Naomi and Ruth. How much more did he plan for us? Right? right. So part of this plan was to look for a redeemer. So uh, Boaz, he goes out, he takes his seat in the gate, and he, and he says to this person walking by, he says, hey, you know Naomi, she's selling the land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. You can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of all these witnesses. In other words, he's like, who else is going to do this? Who else is qualified? And you know what? When it comes to redemption, 
Nobody but Jesus. We can't redeem ourselves. So there's a psalm that says that. It says, uh, you cannot redeem yourselves from death by paying a ransom to God. Redemption doesn't come so easily, for no one can ever pay enough to live forever and never see the grave. You can't redeem yourself. No one else can redeem you. The law can't redeem you. And by the law, I mean any system of godly principled living that you try to uh, do or don't do in order to acquire something from God. There's nothing you can do. There's no system. There's no law out there that's going to get you right with God. There's no right way to live that's going to redeem you. Yeah? Amen? All right. The law of Moses or the law of Zach or the law of whatever individual system that you can concoct, no law is able to save you because of the weakness of our flesh. So, thankfully, God did what the law couldn't do. Now, all of that, the law, and as we're going to see as we progress through the Bible, we're going to see the, we've seen the law, we're going to see the, uh, the kings, we're going to see the prophets, and, and throughout all of it, you're, you're not going to see anything that's able to save or redeem them. See, it's all meant to, and designed to bring you but to this question where you say, who can redeem me then? If I can't, if the law can't, if my best efforts can't, if my principles can't, if my following somebody's teaching can't, then who can redeem me? So Boaz asks the question. He says, hey, will you do it? At first he's like, yeah, I will. But then when he finds out all that it means, he's like, hey, no, never mind. I don't want Ruth the Moabite. And he's like, no, I can't do it. And you know what? Immediately Boaz stands up and says, I'll do it then. I'll do it. Now there's Jesus. There's Jesus. He, he, he brings us, he brings humanity, he brings Israel through this process of going through the law and realizing, man, we can't, we can't do it ourselves. Man, we got a king. King can't save us. It's a good lesson right now, too, actually. Politics, king, none of that's going to save us. Jesus. The prophets can't save you. No inspired teaching is going to save you. No, it's only Jesus. Right? So Jesus comes on at this perfect point in history, and he says, you know what? When he comes into the world, Hebrews said, he said, sacrifice and offering you didn't desire, but a body you prepared for me. And then he said, here I am. It's written about me in that scroll. I'm here, and I've come to do your will, God. Now, why does he say he took on a body? Well, like we said, the kinsman redeemer had to be a close relative. That's what, that's what made it uh, viable. That's what made it possible. So Jesus, uh, he becomes a, a relative. He becomes a close relative. It says, therefore, or sorry, sorry, so the word became human and dwelt among us. John chapter 1, Jesus became a man. Jesus became a human being. Hebrews 2 says, therefore, it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us, his brothers and sisters. Then, then he could offer a sacrifice that could take away the sins of the people. See, Jesus became like us. He took on a body. As pastor said, there is a man with a body at the throne. It was necessary that that a man would redeem us, that he would come down. And it's not because there's some law out there that says a man lost it, a man's got to get it back. That's just the way that it is. It really is. It's just we we allowed death to become a part of us. And God wasn't content to say, you know what? I'm going to stomp on them, squish them out, and start over with something new. He said, no, that's too valuable for me. We got to rescue that. We got to redeem that. We got to raise that back up. We got to restore that. We got to completely and utterly redeem it. I love those people too much. We're not starting over. So that's, that's the whole point there. 
to, in order to maintain the integrity of who we were, it had to be a human that bought us back. See, imagine the land was bought by somebody who wasn't a relative. Imagine it was just a good friend or, or heck, even an enemy. Imagine an enemy could buy it. Now, if that was the case, the land would still kind of at least uh, be in the, in the debt of a non-relative, right? Because they would have bought it, they'd given it back to you, but then there'd always be this kind of, I don't really know, you know? It's mine, they gave it to me, but they paid for it. Who really owns it, you know what I mean? Is, is there some sort of obligation I owe this redeemer? That kind of question would always hang over us. But when a family member bought the land back, it was completely and utterly brought back into the family. And that's what Jesus has done for us as a human being, for our redemption. And not only that, not only did he just become a human, listen to this, he who knew no sin became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. He took on our sin. That's how much he became like us. He took on our sin that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It's so good. Now, another thing that Boaz did is he had to pay the price. In order to redeem something, you had to give some money, and then you'd get the property, right? So he, you are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon. Boaz paid the price to redeem the land. Do you know what? Jesus paid a price for us. The price that Jesus paid, Ephesians chapter 1, 7, it says we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He didn't exchange money. He gave his blood. He gave his life. First Peter 1, 18, 20, it says, knowing that you're not redeemed with corruptible things, and it goes on to say like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ. It was costly. It cost something. He paid something for our redemption. But guess what? That, the payment, it wasn't a, an exchange. It wasn't a, an economic transaction, right? It wasn't as if Jesus said, okay, devil, here's my blood. I'll give you a couple quarts of my blood, and you're going to give me all the people back. It, it wasn't that kind of price. It wasn't that kind of cost. It's not like he took his blood up to the Father and said, okay, Father, here you go. Now you can save all these people. I've, I've paid the price. I've given six liters of blood, something like that. It's not like that. There, there's not a, a transaction that happened in that sense. See, there's, no, there's not this uh, rule out there that God's somehow beholden to that says that the soul that sins, I must kill it unless I have blood. That's not real. No, the soul that sins is going to die because the wages of sin is death. There wasn't a payoff, but there was a price. There was a cost. It wasn't an economic transaction, but there was a price paid. Has anybody ever paid a price to do something. I mean, we say it all the time. We say people who are excelling in their field, maybe there's an athlete who's done really well or a student who's done really well with their studies or somebody in their, in their field who's just really good. And we say, wow, they paid the price to get there. Think about the athlete who spends hours training, hours in the gym when everyone else is out doing fun stuff and that athlete's training and sweating and working away. And they've, they've sacrificed their, their social life in a certain sense. You say, wow, that person really paid the price. Did they give anybody anything? No, but they, 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 they paid the price in the sense that it cost them something. They sacrificed something. And in this sense, Jesus gave his life. He did. So there's no, there's no kind of exchange here. Any language of cost, any language of price, do you know what that's meant to do for you? That's not to make you feel like, oh my goodness, I owe God everything now. No, that's meant to cause you to say, wow, he loves me. 
look how much he loves me. If he didn't hold back his own son, how much more? Right? That's what that's meant to do for you. It's not meant to put lots of guilt on you. It's not meant to make you feel like, well, Jesus loves me, but I'm not sure about the Father because he had to get paid off. No, none of that. Jesus gave his life. He gave his blood. He emptied himself of his privileges of divinity to become a human, to enter into our experience. Think about that. He experienced hunger. He experienced rain. <laughs> you know? Like, he had everyday experiences that just wasn't cool. That he, as clearly as God, he, he didn't need to experience. But he stepped down. He stooped down into this level and agreed to, to participate in stuff that was way, way, way below him. But he loved us. He paid a price for us because he loves us. Right? He's not hanging that over us and saying, you know what? Try better. Every time you sin, I want you to think about what I did for you, and I want that to push you into doing better next time. No. Do you know the Bible says, Hebrews 12, that he was actually happy to pay that price? He was happy. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He despised the shame. I think the joy set before him was the thought of us being free. The thought of us being restored to a relationship with our Heavenly Father. I think that's the joy before him. I think that's what energized him as he's hanging there. And by all accounts, should have died long ago. But I think the Holy Ghost inside of him is just saying, you love these people. Look at these beautiful people. Look at what's going to happen for them. And for that joy, he's like, hey, come on, let's do this. So he paid a price. It cost him something. But it was a price he was willing to pay. He was glad to pay it for us. And then lastly, Boaz like Jesus. He, he, he pays the price, and then he settles Ruth and Naomi in their redemption. See, he says, I've, I've done this. With the land, I've acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife uh, for a reason. Yes. Not just to, to do something nice, but this way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead, dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. So redemption in Boaz's mind it's much more than just giving back to Naomi and Ruth what they walked away from. See, this way she can carry on. She can go past where she once was. And you know what? That's what Jesus did for us. So when we talk about redemption, when we talk about these, these big religious words, sometimes it's good to know what they mean. And when we talk about redemption, I, I, I really don't want you to see it merely as a restoration to your former fortunes. You know, that's kind of the popular way to talk about it. You know, some, some celebrity maybe went out and did something stupid and then they get their career back and now they're, they're redeemed. That's their redemption. No, it's, it's not just that. I mean, that, that's part of it, but no. And it's not merely a second chance. It's not even a third chance, a fourth chance, or a fifth chance. Redemption is so much bigger than that. And it's not even a resolution to a life problem. All right, let's, let's not reduce the redemption of God down to this. I mean, because we're redeemed and because we know a redeemer, we can definitely have his help for all that stuff. That's awesome. Praise God. He wants to get involved in our lives and redeem things for us. But when we talk about redemption, you got to know it's absolute deliverance from all that is less than God's original plan for us. Jesus. Anything in our lives that falls short of the standard that God has for us as human beings coming out of that, no longer experiencing that, that is redemption. See, God's plan and purpose for us in our lives is Jesus as he now is. See, as he is, so are you also in this world, right? So Jesus is the plan and the purpose of God. So when I, when I talk about redemption, when I talk about sanctification, the picture we need to have in our minds is Jesus Christ. 
the fullness of who he is in me and expressed through me. That is the plan of God for us. That is redemption. See, he's not redeeming us to give us a second chance. It's to give us everything that he has and everything that he is. That's redemption. That's so much better than being set back to where you first fell from. That's a, let's take that whole metric, throw it in the garbage. I got something so much better for you, Jesus. Romans chapter 8 in the message, it says, God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. He said, the son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see in Jesus the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. That's redemption. That's what redemption looks like, Jesus. You know, Jesus isn't at the right hand of God right now full of worry, anxiety, stress. I don't think he's sick. So when I see Jesus, whatever I see in him, that's what needs to manifest in my life. That is redemption. All right, so Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll end with this. But this, I think, just sums up the whole book of Ruth. If you're reading Ruth today, you're reading Ruth tomorrow, I'd highly recommend just look at Ephesians chapter 1 as well because the story that's told in that book, I think, is completely encapsulated in this one chapter where it says this, Even before God made the world, he so loved us, and or he loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do. It gave him great pleasure to do it. It gave him great pleasure. Think about that. You know, you think, oh, I got to come and say sorry again. No, you're busted out of that cycle. God is happy to have shed his blood for you. He was happy to have redeemed you. He paid a price for you, and he was glad that he did it. And he's not saying you owe me. He's really not. See, he is so rich, it says, in kindness and grace that he redeemed us. He purchased us with the blood of his son, and he forgave us for all of our sins. Furthermore, further, there's more to the story than just being forgiven. There's more, so much more than just putting you back to the start. Because we're united in Christ, we've received an inheritance from God. He chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. You know, that inheritance is nothing less than whatever you see in Christ. He is your inheritance. So Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, you know what, I, later on, he says, you know, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open, the eyes of your understanding, so that you will see what is the, the hope of his calling and the riches of his inheritance. You're also his. He is my inheritance and I am his. And the manifestation of all that that is in my life in our lives together, in, in my life as a person, in us as a corporate body, that's redemption. That is experiencing the fullness of it. So it's settled. Yeah. Boaz settled the issue. Yeah. I think you'll read that tomorrow. It ended well. Actually, it ended so well that Ruth ended up having a kid named Obed. And if you know your Bible genealogy, I think that was the great-grandfather of Jesse. Or the grandfather, right? Obed, Jesse, David. The Moabite, who wasn't supposed to have anything to do with the assembly of the Lord, because again, in Deuteronomy 23, it actually says no, no, no Moabite to the 10th generation can be involved in the assembly of the Lord. And here we go, four generations, and there's the mighty King David, right? So that, he settled it. If, 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 Mo, if Boaz settled it so completely for that Moabite woman, how much more did Jesus settle it for us, right? Our redemption is settled. 
The only thing left, and this is the only thing, is to let the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth, work that revelation deep down in you. If there's any discipleship program that you need to worry about, it's consciously coming into a greater revelation of what he's already done. And that's it. Let it be settled in you, because it's settled in him. Amen. All right, let's stand up together. There's a hymn that says, there is a redeemer. There really is. I've experienced the redemption of God in my own life, and I'm so grateful there's a redeemer. He saved my soul. He's loved me. He's restored me to my relationship with my heavenly father. He's helped put things right in my life. He's helped put relationships right. See, because he's my redeemer and he's redeemed me and he's settled it, the fact that my redeemer lives inside of me, there's a power in my life that brings redemption everywhere I go. You know, we as Christians, we ought to be like the best people on planet earth at bringing restoration to relationships, at bringing healing and redemption to things that are broken because our redeemer lives inside of us. I've experienced personally Jesus Christ as my redeemer. He has redeemed me. And I just want to give anybody out here today the chance who's never had that experience before. If you've never said to Jesus, be my redeemer. I want your power in my life to redeem me. If you've never said that, if you've never had that experience before, I want to give you that chance right now. What I'm going to ask everybody, if you just bow your heads and close your eyes. And at the count of three, I'm going to ask you just to raise your hand and then we're all going to pray together. But if that's you here today and you want to know the power of Jesus, your redeemer, at the count of three, just raise your hands. Ready? One, two, three. All right, I'm not seeing any hands, so praise God. We've, got, we've been committed, been committed to our trust as a message of reconciliation that our Redeemer lives, and He can redeem and restore us. One of the cool things about redemption, too, and in Ephesians chapter 1, it links redemption and adoption so well together. Because I think in the picture of adoption, there's this idea that you would take in, take into yourself, take into your family, take into your experience, a complete stranger, somebody who's absolutely alienated from you, bring them in and give them everything that you are. And that's also a type of what Boaz has done. That's a type of what Jesus has done for us. And you know what? Because we're redeemed, we can open our hearts too to the people around us who need to have and experience our Redeemer. And I'll tell you what, the city of London needs that. Southwest Ontario needs that. Bridgewater's going to experience it. Bobby, Cheryl, amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for sending Jesus. I thank you that he's become our Redeemer and because Jesus Christ became a man, because he died on the cross and was raised again as a man, because he's seated at the right hand of the Father as a man, we can experience perfect redemption in our lives. So I thank you, Lord. I thank you that you're our Redeemer and our redemption is settled. And we just insist that signs and manifestations of your redemption already already bought, already paid for, be manifested in our lives. In the name of Jesus, let the signs and the evidences of redemption come. Let them manifest in our bodies. Let them manifest in our relationships, in our cities, in the region. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Bless you, Lord. All right, well, I bless you guys all in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Bless you. Uh, the altar ministry, if you guys could come forward. There's, there's going to be an opportunity to receive prayer at the altar. And uh, there's also cake. There's cake. 
the gospel, you can get prayer and you can get cake all in one day. Praise God. All right, so uh, feel free to come on up. Come on up to the altar. And uh, if not, have a beautiful Sunday. And uh, please join us for cake and celebrating the show.